These meditations are drawn from the book of Father Mead, M-E-A-D, called The Hours of the Passion. They are divided very conveniently into 12 hours, from 1 a.m. to 12 p.m., from the agony to the crucifixion. In the early times, the fathers of the church used to speak of the watches of the Passion. The term watches corresponds to the Roman military custom, the vigil, or the watch, by sentinels who were changed quarterly within the night. So from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., from 9 to 12 a.m., from 12 to 3, from 3 to 6. And these watches of the Passion became, when you speak of the Divine Office in the Church, became the hours of the Divine Office. You have Prime, which is roughly said at 6 a.m., Terse, Sext, None. In the Middle Ages, the hours became what, what turned out to be what we call the clocks, of the Passion. The particular time was connected with a different scene of Christ's Passion. So this is the idea here of this Father Mean dividing his book on the Passion of Christ into 12 hours. I'll just give you now the, the list of these 12 hours. We're just going to see quite a few of them, but not all of them. The first hour we'll see today is the agony. Second hour, 2 a.m., the wakening. 3 a.m., desertion. 4 a.m., injustice. 5 a.m., denial. I'm sure you can refer to some connection here with the Passion of Our Lord. 6 a.m., loneliness. 7 a.m. Rejection. 8 a.m. We're in the morning now. The Condemnation. 9 a.m. Reparation. 10 a.m. Mocking. 11 a.m. Opportunity. 12 p.m. Triumph. This is the way Father Mead divides, therefore, the hours of the Passion, the moments of Christ's Passion, the events of Christ's Passion, in connection with a particular time of the night and of the day. Our Lord refers to time through the Gospels. He speaks of now. My hour is not yet come. Today, the meaning of hour is very broad. We speak of the men of the hour, which refers to one at the summit of his popularity. But it refers to the man of the hour is also the man who is daring, young, efficient. And yet, this man of the hour will 
soon enough sh- fall into the forgetfulness, into the nothingness of time, and the fog of lost memory, soon to give way to incapacity, dependence, old age. Yet Christ is always the man of the hour, the man of courage, strength, fortitude, youth, eternal power. And now we move on after this short introduction, we move on to the first hour of the Passion of our Lord. It is called Agony. The first hour of the Passion, out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where our Lord says, This is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's try to visualize this moment of the agony, these hours that our Lord spent in the agony, the Garden of Olives. The Paschal Moon is high up, sheds its pale light, moon-like color, in the enclosed rocky area, which holds a few olive trees under which the apostles are going to sleep. And our Lord tells them, go, rest. But he brings closer to him three apostles and he's asking them to watch, to watch and pray. But they are asleep too at this moment. Christ is alone. One man watches and pray. It is the Lord. Silence is hardly broken. The lips of Christ emit a feeble, ardent, anguished cry. Father, if this is possible, let this chalice pass away from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. And after a long duel of praying, begging, and awaiting for an answer from his Father, Jesus stands up again. He had been prostrate on that rock of the agony. A very pregnant moment and place, really, in Jerusalem, one of the most sacred places of Jerusalem. Therefore, Jesus goes back to the apostles. He's disappointed and tells them his disappointment. Could you not watch and pray? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Christ goes back to his lonely post, the sentinel, watching in the advanced bastion of the fortress, alone against enemy forces which are rallying round the citadel to take it by storm in the night. Our Lord prays again to his Father. 
the agony becomes more troublesome, more ardent, more awesome. Back to the apostles, find them again sleeping. Back to his post, the rock of the agony, facing the eventuality of his death, of his passion, facing his father who is silent. And being in agony, he prayed the longer, and his sweat became as drops of blood. The Greek term is blood clots, trickling down, trickling down from the from him upon the ground. There is the man of sorrow, prostrate, bathed in his own blood. This is not the Son of God. What is this awful mystery taking place in his human soul? Mystery it is. We can see what happens in the appearances of our Lord, in his speech in his talk with his father, his prayer to his father, with his apostles. Can we fathom a little more the mystery of his soul? Well, Jesus Christ is about to dive into his passion. He could avert it. He could call in twelve legion of angels to strike them all dead. Yet he awaits his passion. This is why I came into the world. The passion of Christ is the death of Christ. It is the glorification of Christ. This is his own glory. But death is a hard thought for any man. We shrink naturally at the thought of death. A violent death is an awful thing. A violent death unknown and foreseen ahead of time. So much the more awful, terrible to face. That's what our Lord is up to. Christ also is facing death for crimes he has not committed. This is the ultimate outrage that a man would have to endure for sins not committed. Go to jail, for instance, for faults he is innocent of. And Christ is a perfect man. Why should he be the one to pay for others? No wonder he shrinks, he collapses under the strain. He cries to be delivered. Also, he sees all the wickedness of a wicked race which overtakes him. Christ feels upon his shoulder, upon his soul, upon his mind, all the sins of all men, which are choking, drowning him down his throat. Nausea, disgust, vomiting of sins, of thoughts self-love, hatred, impurity, murderous thoughts, 
sins against bodies, sins against the souls, sins of themselves, of people themselves, sins against others. Christ's body is tortured, but his soul too suffers this extraordinary pressure from sin. Only the man who can be God, who is God, can understand the gravity of sin because he alone can understand who God is. Jesus is in agony because he thinks of all those for whom he will suffer in vain. The useless sacrifice of God, shedding of blood, giving up of his soul for people who will hate him for all eternity. Those who love sin, indifferent to Christ's sacrifice, who shun the cross, who love sin and want to die in it. Here is also the sobbing from the heart of God with the cry, the blood, the sweat, the tears of Jesus Christ who is struggling against fear, sin, death and hell. What, what a spectacle. St. Luke, among the synoptics, is the only one who speaks of the angel who came to comfort him in the midst of his agony. What is interesting to notice also is that this comfort of the angel is given to Christ. The lesser comes to the greater. The mere creature comes to help the Son of God. And yet, our Lord accepts of course this comfort, this help, outside help, but it is given him only to suffer the more. And the same St. Luke is a physician, of course, and speaks of this bloody sweat. Is the one who explains that after this help coming from the angel, our Lord became more intensely lost in his agony. And then come, then came this sweat of blood upon him. God's help often comes to us to allow us to carry on with the extra grace, carry on a more intense cross, a more intense punishment. Then Christ rises slowly. He looks white and shaky as a corpse was lost a lot of blood. The agony is over. Our Lord has made his ultimate subjection to the will of the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. If this chalice cannot pass away, thy will. Christ was made obedient to God, 
unto death death of the cross and now our Lord is on his way to his arrest by this awful traitor 